It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's about time. We took the summer off. Now it's time to get back to work. And we're getting back to this radio program a little later than most educators have gone back to work. Most educators have already been back at work for at least a month already. Um, But due to a variety of scheduling conflicts, uh, we are not starting the helping behaviorally challenging students radio program until today. But I'm glad we finally got this uh, show on the road here. And we are joined by uh, one principal and one former principal. Let's bring on our former principal first, Tom Ambrose. How are you? Hello. Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Your voice has not changed since you became an assistant. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has changed. I'm still me. Well, you sound a little bit more authoritative. Maybe that's just my imagination. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you're making stuff up. <laughs> Maybe. And did I hear Susan or Carol in the background? Susan's on. Hey, congratulations, Tom. Thanks, Susan. Uh. Susan is still a principal, but in a brand new school this year. Um, hey. Never made complete sense to me why they do that, but we know that they do that in Susan's school system, and we won't ask her to comment on that. But Susan is in a <laughs> new school. That's uh, smart. Tom is in a new position, and maybe Carol will join us. I didn't hear that she wasn't. I know that Nina will not be with us today, but will be with us on that first mm-hmm. Monday in October, which is when we usually have this program, the first Monday of every month. Um, but let's hear from both of you first. We do have some questions queued up that accumulated over the summer, and we'll try to get to as many of those as we possibly can. But, um, well, Susan, tell us about your new school and what you're trying to accomplish, and uh, without making any commentary about the way your school system does things, why you left your old school. Well, I actually got moved. Uh, they do that every four years. So it was, well, I've, I've been moved more often than not, but uh to bigger schools, and that's what happened. Um, I was disappointed to leave because I loved my last school. We had lots of behaviorally challenged kids, which was fantastic for me, and loved making a difference in kids' lives and teachers' lives. And this school is very... Um, it's its not the same as a last school. It's not as much... I don't know. I was going to say... Uh, stuff that's so immediate that needs to get done. But we we obviously have children who need help, and so what I did at the end of last year is I gave everybody your book, Lost at School, and they read it over the summer, and so we're starting the same sort of transition into Lost at School and working with 
behaviorally challenged kids and doing CPS exactly as I did it at my last school. So I've got about six teachers who are interested in getting started, which is working well for me, and I'm excited to bring it to a new school. I have been uh, given the opportunity to take your certification course, and the district has paid for that, which makes me believe that the district is very keen on getting it started within the Surrey School District, which is apparently the second largest school district in all of Canada. So I'm excited about that opportunity as well. That's great. Now, got a question for you. Is it any you I think you went through the process of getting CPS going in your old school first. That was the first I school did. you had done it in, if I'm not mistaken. Is it any different now that you've done it once, now that you're in a new school? You know, uh it, it it's different in a way that uh, because I'm coming with so much more experience and so I'm able to talk about it in a way that is um just with better knowledge of how to get people involved and um, creating that sort of system where people want to be involved and want to do it, which is the other way I, I was just learning as well, which was good with my last staff. But um, the disappointment is uh, my last staff is really struggling now that I'm not there because a new administrator coming in, you know, wants different things done, and so they're really struggling to keep it going. So I'm hoping that they'll be able to do that. Tom, I bet you have comments on that. But first, Tom, let's hear about your new position. We can't say that this program has four principals anymore, but that's okay. <laughs> we have three principals and an, an assistant superintendent. Tell us about your new position and um, what you hope is going to still be going on in your old school. Well, I, I'm the... Uh I took a job as uh, an assistant superintendent, but the nice thing is that the the role is uh, uh, also coordination of curriculum. So I deal with personnel matters, but I also deal a lot with uh, the curriculum and professional development for our district. So really what happened for me was that as I, as I uh, learned about this process of implementing CPS and also uh, working with Columbia University and Teachers College, I... Uh, at our old district, you know, I, I really loved seeing teachers learn and grow, and then the kids benefiting from that. So my hope is that I will continue to to uh, influence lots of adults to do make make good choices to help kids learn. You know, so it's been really exciting so far, and uh, I hope that the place I just left uh, really continues to look at kids through the lens, you know, of knowing that kids do well if they can and making decisions based on the kids and, and the variables that we can control and uh, not focusing on the things that we have no control over. Did you do anything in particular sort of systematically or programmatically? And by the way, Carol has now joined us. Carol, welcome. Hello, thank you. How are you? I am very well. I apologize for being a few minutes late. Our lunch bell has moved this year three minutes later, so <laughs> my my audio trigger was a little late. Got it. Well, we'll we'll count on you being late henceforth until you get used to the new signal, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we'll catch up in a second. But, Tom, did sure. you do anything in your old building to um, try to make sure that CPS – lasted beyond you? Because this is a major issue in many buildings, and I've seen this happen on inpatient units and in prisons. Um, 
if the hurricane revolves around the charismatic leader, then there's a pretty decent chance that things will change when the charismatic leader leaves. Plus, you get new leaders in who often have their own agenda. We're not necessarily um, invested in CPS in the first place. Um, how do you make sure that it lasts beyond you? Uh, I think that the 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 key to that with any initiative is very complicated, but the key is building the intrinsic motivation of the, the staff. I, I think that, you know, I went to this conference once where uh, a woman was talking about literacy instruction, and I, it's very similar in the sense that they had one principal who was very into making sure that kids were reading books at their level and working independently. And then uh, a year later, uh, the staff was very invested in that approach, responsive literacy instruction, and then and then another principal came in and wanted to do what's called a basal reader, which is basically a very programmatic, step-by-step approach to teaching reading. And uh, the 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 teachers, some of them chose to go principal shopping, which is their way of saying, I'm not going to work here if this is how it is, which is always good if you don't agree, um, because, you know, you have to accept what you can't change. And then some of them would teach the kids to pull up their basal reader books when the principal came by and then put them down and read their Just Right books. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Downright insubordination. Love it. Um, so, you know, I I just think that people, people, uh, you know, they really have to, if you, if you have a building where the culture around this work is super strong, then a new leader will become in, in, indoctrinated into the culture or face massive resistance. And the question is always begged to be asked, you know, is the resistance coming because the the leadership wants the change or is the resistance coming because the principal doesn't understand the perspective and concerns of the staff? So if the staff is strong, they'll usually get the leadership to to see their point of view. It's a very complex topic, but ultimately the leadership decides what the focus is of the building. And that really does does affect whether or not... A, I don't think that you can really... If you had a leader, leadership that came in that just absolutely doesn't support an approach or perspective, then you're probably going to see changes in the building over time because either staff will leave or they'll just give up trying to change the leader. Um, oh, is that me or is that... I can hear Sorry. everything. I don't know who that is. Hmm. Well, Carol just left the call, so maybe she decided it was uh, her. Maybe she had a... Yeah... Yeah, so anyway, leadership decides the the focus of the building and and you know, I I think that those of us who who are here for kids focus all the work and efforts on the student learning and that would include this approach. Agreed, and I unfortunately what happened is a lot of people left my last school. And but mm. the, you know, it's unfortunate in one way but good in another because they've all spread out now and they're spreading the word about doing CPS at the new schools that they're at. And so we're getting together on a regular basis just to talk about what we're doing and how we're moving forward in our new schools with other children who need the help as well. So it was it was so it was sad for me because we'd worked so hard to get to a point and then to see it all kind of go away, it's very sad. It is sad and the question I have, since I'm always sort of putting the kids um and what they need at the four is um, 
you know, is this a, that's a nice positive way to look at it, that the people who were in your old building will now bring this to other buildings. But um, I guess I sometimes think that kids are the ones on the ultimate losing end frequently of how much turnover there is in schools and how often things change in school buildings. The people who complain about that the most, of course, are the teachers, the classroom teachers and the administrators who are responsible for implementing the latest new thing that's coming down the pike. I just wonder what the kids' experience of that is. I think it must be really tough. I do, because there's just different expectations put on them. So for four years they had one, and now they've got something different. I, I just think it must be tough, but... Kids are resilient. Well, and I, you know what? I think we rely very heavily on kids being resilient. Mm. So heavily that sometimes I think we lose the forest for the trees because one thing I will say, I think kids are being asked to be way more resilient these days than ever before. There's just, I think the world is a less user-friendly place for kids these days. Um, and I put schools in there too. There's things that are a lot better in schools than they used to be, but there's things that are not as user-friendly as they used to be, too. Just one man's view. Agreed. But there you have it. So um, I think think we might have lost Carol, perhaps permanently. Maybe that was a lightning strike that we were hearing. uh, (laughs) Are there storms in uh, British Columbia today? It's beautiful and sunny today in British Columbia. Well, then we can't use that as an excuse. Yeah. Shall we I just want to know when... Go ahead. No, i, I got to ask. So, like, when you all in British Columbia get that powder up there on that in the big mountains, will you call me? Because I want to come visit. Oh, we would love to. Maybe we can get together and yeah. do Yes, yes. You I let me know, that. and I will fly out and visit some of your schools or do whatever it takes to hit the pow. That would be so great. Helping helping kids become secondary, Ross, when we have a powder day. I'm sorry, but (laughs) there are. Just kidding. Carol is back, and now we know that Tom has not changed dramatically. (laughs) Um, That's a good thing. He sounds a little bit more serious than he used to, but we still know what is paramount in his mind. There you go. Absolutely. Powder. <laughs> we have Carol back. Carol, tell us a little bit. Then we'll turn our attention to some email. Carol, um, you're still in the same school this year, yes? Second year in your I building? I am. Yes, it's my third How's year How's things here. going? They are going very well. We had a great startup. We're grown a little bit, and uh, most of our teaching staff has stayed the same. A couple of uh, new folks that are just coming on board for uh, term positions and things like that, but... Um, yeah, it's a, we're in a good place. Good, and I take it this is year two of CPS. I know you were treading fairly lightly last year. <laughs> what are your plans for this year? Uh, well, we're going to continue with uh, with having the ALSEP be the, the base of discussions for whenever we have a school-based team meeting um, relating to more behavioral issues in the classroom. And uh, hoping to use some of our, uh, to have some of our support staff, my uh, child and youth care worker and counselor, um, be able to be sharing some of that and modeling some of that, um, the actual conversations with, uh, with students 
to help the teachers get more comfortable with that process. I have some teachers who, you know, have read the book and and, uh, we've done some work together um, and just kind of just continuing to solidify it and spread it so that the understanding becomes a bit broader amongst everyone. Outstanding. And you are, of course, aware that Tom is now an assistant superintendent. I did. I think we have to start calling. Is he a doctor yet? Or should we call him doctor? No. no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Tom. Just yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Even even when the day comes, I think he's still yeah, Tom. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> never be Dr. Tom. No, no never Dr. Tom. That, uh, and, and even if I was Dr. Tom twice, I'd still be Tom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, shall we start with some email? Sure. Yeah, we sure. have a few. This is uh, this is one from a parent, but I decided to put it on this program just so you all could respond to it. It says, uh, and this was received fairly recently, so this mom will be pleased to be knowing that, uh, and by the way, uh, people who are listening to the program, I hope that you all know that when we respond to an email on this program, you get an email from Ann and Tim, who are volunteers at Lives in the Balance, letting you know that your question was responded to and providing you with the link to the recording. So that's cool. Here we go. Uh, my son is in kindergarten, and the day before the first day, his teacher pushed keeping him home another year after spending five minutes with him. Today is day three. And his teacher called me, spending 10 minutes explaining all of the ways my son has been disruptive and why he's not ready for school and that I should keep him home another year, second time in a week after knowing my child for four days. Today he had to go to, quote-unquote, Red Star, which is the highest level of disciplinary stars that are used in the classroom. I take it that that's not good. Um, My son is very, very shy, and when he's embarrassed or frustrated, he acts out. The teacher said she doesn't want to have to be on him all year, and she wants me to keep him home, but I feel that is not the way to handle the situation. Staying home another year will do nothing to help him, although it seems she is past trying to help him learn already. I have no idea what to do about this situation. Luckily, we have uh, three people, maybe even four if we include me, who are happy to give you their thoughts on that matter. Who wants to go first? (laughs) Yikes, that just doesn't happen here. They don't get to choose, but um, (laughs) they just come to kindergarten. I I don't know. Starting with CPS sounds like a great idea, doing it all stuff with a parent of what's happening at home and how they can help at school. So, in other words, get a fix on the kids' lagging skills and unsolved problems. Exactly. And they're not doing any favors for the child by starting with an adversarial relationship with the parent, for sure. Um, You know, we try to look at a strength-based model and say that, obviously, you know, let's find out we don't know the child. It's been just a few days, so maybe it would be good to to bring that parent um, onto our side and show them that we are on the same side, that of the child, and and ask questions and have curiosity rather than judgment, and that sounds like it, it's going to be a step back for sure. You know, it's different slightly here. We do um, kindergarten interviews with parents before the children start full-time, and I wonder if that might be a good opportunity for the parent and the teacher to get together just to talk about the strengths, as Carol says, because that's what we 
do here, and it actually works beautifully with the teachers getting to know a little bit more about the child through what's been happening at home, things that they're learning about, things that they're interested in, and it just gives them a better understanding of where to start with these children. Is that is that something that they do um, in the area that she's from? You know, I don't know what area she's from. There's no uh, information about location in her email, so I have no idea. Oh. Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I, well, I, I just think that it just it comes back to the fundamentals of the work we do. I mean, all the work we do is human because we focus on relationships first. And, and I think that setting up... Uh, I think it was Carol that said, you know, adversarial relationship is not a good place to start. And I do think that filling out the ALSUP would be helpful, but I love the idea of figuring out what the kid has for strengths, too. You know, and connecting with that. Um, I just think that, that kindergarten is a very, very sensitive time in the child's life because a lot of their, uh, well, it's like this. If you if you associate walking through the doors of school with stress and anxiety, you would develop a cognitive habit of feeling stress and anxiety whenever you walk into a school building. It's almost more important for little kids to learn to feel safe and cared for at school first and develop that as a habit, and then the learning will come. And uh, there are some people out there who might think that that notion is contrary to the idea that Students are super able and do really well when the academics have high expectations, but the reality is is that um, none of us learn best when we're feeling uh, ostracized or afraid. So I think the key is to to help kids to develop those habits early on in their, their little lives, and hopefully they carry them forward, and, and then that develops that, that love of learning component, you know? I agree. Well, I just have... Go ahead. Sorry, I just was going to say that just last week we have three kindergarten children who are starting a gradual entry because they were finding that full day really, really hard. It's a long day for them after coming from preschool. So luckily for us, the parents were on board, and it's just making it's just a bit easier for them to start a gradual entry. And I, who knows, I, I, there's so many things that are open for this teacher to try and the parent to try with this child to help him have a successful start to kindergarten. Well, here's my two cents. I think what we have here is a classic case of dueling solutions. We have a mom who think who believes that her child is uh, capable of being in kindergarten, and we have a teacher who believes exactly the reverse. And so long as this stays in dueling solutions mode, yes, he should stay, no, he should not, I predict that this will not go very well at all. Mm. It's the classic. Dueling solutions is also known as a power struggle. And um, I bet, and we've heard a little bit more about this from the mom, mom has some real legitimate concerns about her son and his ability to participate in kindergarten and what he needs from that experience and what she hopes for him and how she hopes things will be done because her son is shy, and when he's embarrassed or frustrated, he acts out. I bet mom has some very legitimate concerns, but I'm also assuming 
that the kindergarten teacher has legitimate concerns. <laughs> but at the moment, we are operating solely at the level of solutions. And that never goes well because it devolves into a power struggle. Um, I'm dying to know more about mom's concerns and her hopes for her son and her concerns about um, expectations that might be placed on him in kindergarten early on here that he might have difficulty meeting. But I'm also dying to hear the concerns of the teacher who clearly, for some reasons, believes that this kid just cannot cut it in kindergarten this year. But just to beat the dead horse, so just like every other thing, so long as this remains at the level of solutions and so long as we do not get to the level of concerns, those concerns will not get addressed. I would agree. Sense. And, and I, I do think that... that um, what I've seen with kindergarten too, and I, I would agree with you, Ross, that the I don't know if you've seen this before, but but watching kids develop over a three or four year period from pre-K through to uh, third grade, there are some kids whose lagging skills are apparent right at the beginning of pre-K, and if they aren't addressed, they'll never get better. Even if you keep them in or put them out or whatever, whatever it is that you do. Having said that, I've also seen some kids who came in with some lagging skills, but then grew and developed as people because their little brains are going so fast and they they're growing. And then they almost kind of, in some ways, they learn the the skills that they need and grow out of what was going on. And so I think that this kind of thing, when kindergarten and mean is technically a choice until the student's seven years old. And and I have typically wow. I have typically leaned on the side of come come to school. Do you know what I'm saying? That that compulsory attendance starts at seven, but the reality is is that kids truly benefit from being here. So um um I think it's a fine line when you're looking at kindergarten as to whether or not it's helping or, or not helping. Um, but typically, even if there are, if they were not to be in school, you'd still want to work on the solutions to those problems so that the next year would be a success. And that it, I don't think that it's usually just that they grow out of it. I think it's that they grow out of it combined with learning what to do. Well, and I would say growing out of it means developing more skills so that you are better yep. able to handle the demands that are being placed upon you. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, that's 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 what growth means. Yep. Susan, Carol, any other thoughts on this one before we turn our attention to another? I just I just ag- agree with with Tom and and with you. We just need to figure out what's getting in his way and teach the lagging and the mom, skills. And yeah, the mom's got some information. She says she knows that when he's embarrassed, and I'm guessing that going up to red star on the behavior chart is embarrassing. So right there, I mean, with our perspective, we can see there's a there's a trigger. There's something that's going to increase his embarrassment and put him in a situation he can't handle. Well, and of course, that's what drives me nuts. It, what <laughs> yeah. drives me nuts is that people think that the red star is an effective intervention when you just put it perfectly. All the red star tells you is that something's the matter. But red stars don't fix anything, and neither do stickers. Um, so, no. you know, red red star is a signal. Might as well be a red light, and that's, that's often how people do it in other schools that I've known about it. Mm-hmm. Red light, yellow mm-hmm. light, green light. Yeah. 
But red lights don't fix anything. If kids getting a lot of red lights, something's the matter. But a red, whatever's the matter, a red light isn't going to fix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Agreed. Mm. We better get me off of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it is. Um, boy, I can't. And the reason is, I can't tell you how many kids I've worked with who number one were freaked out by red light, yellow light, green light, because they didn't have the skills to get to green light, and they were getting all kinds of red lights, but they didn't have the skills to do anything about it. And there are adults in this world. Let me just finish thought. If she approached it in a different way with a teacher as well, more of an approach of can you help me help my son, rather than go in adversarial about this is what I need and just, you know, how, how can we work together? Just a different way of approaching it, because maybe mm-hmm. the teacher's got her back up as well. I don't know. Uh, just... we, we don't know the details on that. Exactly. All right, here's another email. Um, this uh, educator is saying, Dr. Green, thank you for your book, Lost at School. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it and would like to apply its principles to my profession. I'm a trained applied behavior analyst and have found that although positive reinforcement works initially, at some point with every child I work with, I hit a wall. It is because of this I went searching for something else and discovered your work. She's getting more than she bargained for because she's going to hear from all of us. My question for you is this. The primary focus of my work is with children who are nonverbal, and are in these severe and profound school programs. Even after reading the chapters on these areas, I'm unsure how to engage the children who have limited abilities to use expressive communication skills. Many of the pictures we have for the children are so limited to express what their needs really are. For example, if a child is sitting calmly and reaches out and begins to scratch me, at the moment there are so many guesses I must try to make to figure out What they are trying to communicate, do they need to use the bathroom? Do they want to go home? Are they tired of sitting? Do they not feel well? Are they bored? The list is so endless and difficult to teach all of these preemptively. And they attempt to get the child to communicate before they go into meltdown mode. Is there some way to better engage the child who is so limited in their communication? Thank you. Um, I'm happy to take that one first, but I'm also happy to let uh, one of you all take a stab at it. I'd love to hear your answer. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, I'm going to take it in sequential order here. Um, This applied behavior analyst, um, let's start by saying that I've been bumping into this a fair amount lately, people who... Uh, This came up last week during a webinar that I was doing where someone who was uh, participating in the webinar felt that my portrayal of ABA was about old ABA, which is reward and punishment, and not new ABA, which is broader. And my response was, I sure run into a lot of uh, applied behavior analysts who are trained in old school ABA, I also run across a lot and, and are rather limited in their approach to the problems kids are having in meeting expectations. Their repertoire is fairly narrow and uh, largely oriented toward rewarding and punishing. I also come across a lot of applied behavior analysts like this one 
who feel that CPS fits magnificently into ABA. So all that says is that there is no one ABA, and knowing that somebody is an applied behavior analyst doesn't really tell us anything about their uh, way of thinking or um, what their uh, repertoire of interventions might be. But this one is telling us what I also hear from a lot of people, and that is that while incentive programs may work initially at, let's, let's think about what work means, at reducing the behaviors we don't want to see and increasing the behaviors we do want to see, keyword behaviors, with every child I work with, at some point I hit a wall. And that's why a lot of people do go searching for something else, because focusing primarily on behavior and incentives is almost always going to cause people to hit a wall, at least in my experience. What we should be focused on instead, of course, is lagging skills and unsolved problems. So that's the first part of her email that I wanted to make sure we covered. But the second part is, what do you do with a kid who's nonverbal? Um, and I rely very heavily here on my speech and language therapist friends who work with kids who are completely nonverbal frequently, and one of them gave me the response that stuck with me. I hope you're a good observer, um, because if a kid can't tell you, it's our observational skills and our intuition and our guessing ability that's going to help us figure that out. But, of course, my reference point for that is infants. Because infants can't tell you what's the matter either, but what responsive caregivers of infants do is they go with the kid's nonverbal cues. They get to know the kid. They get to know what the kid reacts to. They get to know what the kid couldn't care less about. And that narrows the range of things that could be the matter so that, we can start guessing effectively just based on what the kid is communicating non-verbally. Grunting is communicating. Screaming is communicating. Growling is communicating. But with a kid who can't tell us what's the matter, we are left with our ability to guess and our willingness to say, I must have got that wrong. Um, it must be something else. And then if we just take to the next step, what we're trying to do is depict that stuff in pictures if we are finding that we are guessing right. So yes, the range of possibilities on day one is infinite. But on day five, it shouldn't be quite so infinite because now we are getting to know this kid and starting to get a bit of handle on what often sets the kid off. And by day 10 or 15, um, we should have a pretty decent sense. So day one, yep, sky's the limit on what the kid could be bothered by and what the unsolved problems could be. But as time goes on, we're going to get to know the kid and we're going to find a mechanism for the kid to let us know non-verbally what it is right now. Those are my thoughts. Well, I always thought that was an interesting way to... I've heard you talk about that before, but it was a few years ago, and... I, I love the idea that that could also be applied to uh, um, really young children, like pre-K, K, a, a lot like the student that we started this conversation with, that maybe they don't have the words to always articulate their thoughts or feelings or their perspective, and that using some pictures can really help. I mean, they, 
in your basic guidance counseling classes, you know, they, they teach you about having kids draw pictures about their concerns or perspective. Um, it, one step more supported would be to show them pictures and have them just point and choose. But I think that integration of the arts component is super cool and has much, much room to be explored in our, our day-to-day lives. Of course, willingness to do that, receptivity to doing that, depends completely on lenses. Because if a caregiver is wearing certain lenses, um, they aren't viewing the kid's challenging behavior as merely communicating. They are interpreting it in other ways, attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing. And then the door slams shut on trying to figure out, well, what is the kid communicating? So at a very first-pass level, um, if we are viewing challenging behavior as simply and purely this is the way this kid communicates that he or she is lacking the skills to handle certain demands and expectations, and that's the soundbite. That's when mm-hmm. challenging behavior occurs. Then they're going to start looking for what's getting in the kid's way and what the expectations are that are setting the kid off. But if they're wearing different lenses, that door never opens. Susan, Carol, what do you think? Yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> yes, to everything. I agree with you. Um, I, I, and a kudos yeah. to this woman for or this for trying something new. I think that's fantastic that she's looking to CPS to help meet this child's needs. Uh, I, I'd love to hear back from her how it works because I think that's a huge responsibility that she's taking on, and I think it's great. And it is what we try to do with all kids when we start using the process is, um, you know, we're, we're shifting our our thoughts on how to solve problems from um, telling the child what to do to asking the child what can we do. And it is about communication, whether they have uh, a great verbal repertoire or not. It's about asking for the child to communicate to us. And so any steps you can take along that way through whatever modality I think is going to you know, just change change the relationship and, and start you moving forward. The, the good news is most kids early on, there, there are certain routine things that are setting them off, and sometimes it's hard to guess, and sometimes uh, it's hard to observe what could be getting in the kid's way. But over time, as we get to know kids, I know this was true with the two infants that Um, are now my grown children, Um, what they're getting upset about actually is reflective of a rather finite range of things. And, of course, it was different things for both of my two, but over time, what they were getting upset about and what problems needed to be solved became much more predictable and much more organized. So uh, I wish her all the best in getting to know this kid through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And, yes, I agree, Susan. I hope she emails us back and lets us know how it went, or better yet, even calls in. I agree. Yeah. Yay. Should we try to squeeze in one more? We've got about five minutes left. I think we should try. Ready? Okay. Okay. Yep. 
Uh, I'm just curious about this type of student. I am an EA that works with students from 11 to 14 years old. I'm contacting you by myself regarding this subject, so it reflects on myself only. I read Lost at School, and I've tried using Plan B. I really like how it builds relationships. I'm curious how to approach a student and respond to the same type of student who feels and acts like they are better than their peers who are in the same class. The other students are on the spectrum and would act different than others but present as your average person. I'm in search of a lagging skill. However, how do we teach humanism, or will it come with maturity? Well, I think they're coming to definitely it is a social skill. It's an interpersonal skill to accept differences in others. I'm not sure, thinking of the ALSUP, what particular skill. I mean, you could put it in the frame of, a, of an expectation that the child is having trouble meeting. So whether the expectation would be that the child, uh, you know, says hello to others in the morning or, you know, break it down to what those expectations are that the child isn't meeting. Um, I don't know that naming the skill is really as important as as looking to understanding that, that there's probably a skill, but let's look at what, what it looks like in the classroom and then let's talk to the student about what they see and what their perspective is on why that's happening. Others? Hmm. I, I, I just keep going back to the whole idea of... Uh, um, transferability, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, if, if somebody sits with a kid and gives them, truly listens to them and truly learns their concerns and perspective and supports them in solving a problem, could it be possible for them to then teach the child to transfer that skill to someone else? Well, here's what I thought you were going to say at the end of that. If you're truly listening to a kid and the kid's concerns. You are showing empathy. Mm -hmm. If the kid is then able to listen to your concerns, the kid is demonstrating that he or she can take another person's perspective, appreciate how one's behavior is affecting other people. And if kid and adult, and of course, what am I describing here? The three steps of plan B. If a kid and an adult are then able to collaborate on a solution that addresses the concerns of both parties, I think you are indirectly teaching empathy. Some of the, most, some of the skills that are most crucial for helping human beings mm-hmm. display the more positive side of human nature. Empathy appreciating how one's behavior is affecting other people, being able to take another person's perspective, honesty, uh, resolving disagreements in ways that do not involve conflict. You're teaching all those skills indirectly using Plan B. And so will that kid then be more empathic toward others? I, I would assume so. Would that kid be better at listening to others' concerns? I would think so. And would that kid be invested in resolving conflict in ways that involve the search for mutually satisfactory solutions? 
I think so. The other option, by the way, is to handle unsolved problems and unmet expectations through use of power, imposition of adult will. And I probably don't have to be explicit about what that's teaching the kid and what that isn't teaching the kid. So I hate to bring everything back to plan B because there are certainly direct and explicit ways to teach humans to display the more positive side of human nature. But if you asked me for the most important skills that are important for kids to display the more positive side of human nature, um, I'm going to do plan B. We got about 50 seconds left. Any final thoughts? Well, I was just thinking about the expectation that's not being met. And in my school, it would be respect. So if the child isn't showing respect to the other students because they think that they're better than them, then that would be, for me, an expectation that's not being met that could be written in a way on the ALSEP that is, has difficulty treating others with respect or using language that is respectful. Would that work? It could. I tend to stay away from the word respect on the ALSEP, but, so I'd want to come up with a slightly different word just because it's not always clear what that one means. But you know what? We're going to tackle that on the next program. (laughs) Good, yay. Let's do it. It is so nice to be talking to you all again. I'm sure our listeners are happy too. Talk to you in a few weeks. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.